Our reading today is from Ephesians 2, 12 through 13, and then 19. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Jesus Christ, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. There are so many people who look back on Christmas and absolutely say, boy, I'm glad, I'm glad it's over. And then there seems to be this rallying that happens uh, for the week ahead, right? Because moving into the new year always seems to focus people on improvement. We're always looking to be our best this time of the year as we look into next year. And isn't that what New Year's resolutions are for? You know, we, we start this, we stop that, we say, I'm going to really focus on this. I'm going to give this up, and by golly, I'm going to finish that project I have yet to finish. And the list goes on. But I, I think we could all agree, you cannot be your best outside the will of God. You know, I can remember in my youth being so preoccupied with getting on with my life. My head was constantly filled with getting there, arriving, landing in a career, relationship, a marriage, and family. And before I came to know the Lord, I can, I can vividly remember saying these words to, to many people. I want to have God in my life, but I want to get my life in order first. I want to arrive. And, and I was, and maybe some of you were there as well, I was absolutely caught in our text today. At that time, I was separate from Christ, excluded. I was a foreigner without hope outside of God's will. You cannot be your best outside the will of God. And even after salvation came and, and I was saved, I still, I still felt ripped apart by, by that question. Lord, now, now what is your will for me? What is your will for me? And so that was my quest through my teens and my early adulthood. Lord, what are your plans for me? What is your will for my life? And how can I get there fast? And here's why going to church and sitting under strong biblical teaching is so important. Because 30 years ago, a pastor taught me this very, very simple lesson. And it was this. You know, the question isn't always, Lord, where am I headed? Lord, where, where is your will for my life? The, the question really worth asking is, Lord, who am I? What is my, my origin? What is my, my backstory? You know, superhero movies, we know. It's going on 30 years. Can you believe it? These, these movies are so popular. But what's become really popular in the last 10 years is not the superhero movie, but the superhero origin movie, the backstory movie. We, we love these, because let's be honest, all the fight scenes are the same in every one of these movies. But, but we love to dive into the backstory of these individuals. And even the villains now have their own backstory movie. Why, why are we so in, enthralled by these? I think it's because we want to know what is their origin? Where did they come from? What makes them tick? And I think the same is true for our life as well. We long, we long to discover who we really are. Now, if you're a, a believer for some time, then, then you know that you are holy. You know that you are blameless, and you know that you are set apart by God. We are a chosen people, a royal 
priesthood, a holy nation. We know this in our heart and soul, but there are so many people, maybe the same people who are looking back and saying, man, I'm so glad Christmas is over. They cannot wrap their heads around those, those promises and our inheritance. You see, most people's origin story, sadly, is a collection of messages that they replay over and over in their minds that affirm a, a setback, a tragedy, a trauma, or their circumstances. And it leaves them feeling unwanted, unloved, alone and guilt-ridden, and often very, very helpless. They muddle through life, they replay these messages over and over, and those messages, those origin stories begin to define who they are. And I think the mistake we make is, is in our own lives that many people make is we don't spend enough time looking far enough back. You know, you certainly can look back at your parents and your grandparents and, and our upbringing, and that's really important. And, and I'm sure some of us have been busy on Ancestry.com or the DNA test you got for Christmas, and those are really, really exciting. But if you really want to know the good stuff, if you really want to know, we need to go all the way back to the beginning. And this is what our friends who are so lost need to hear. Our backstory begins way back in the book of Genesis, when God created humans into existence. It's a picture of God creating something very precious to him. It's sort of like a, a master woodworker who has a special project. He can, he can see it in his mind. And before he even begins to cut the first piece of wood, he's got all of the select pieces of wood picked out. His bench is ready. His tools are ready. And, and I didn't know this about craftsmen, but they often create the display before they even start the project. And I've heard this about painters as well. They, they know the frame they're going to put it in before they ever begin. And that's a great picture of the book of Genesis. The you know, book of Genesis really is like a mother and father getting the nursery together. The walls are painted, the carpet, the throw rugs perfectly picked out. The crib is assembled, the pictures are on the wall, rocking chair mobile, everything's in place. But the crown of the project, the focal point of that room is nothing I just described. The focal point of that is the child. That room becomes special only when the child arrives. And I think that's exactly what we see in the book of Genesis. God gets everything into place. Let there be light, and it was good. Sky, moon, light, sea, teeming, filled, good, good, good. But when God creates humans into existence, he changes his wording. He changes it slightly, but he also says a lot more. So what does God say? He says, then let us, God says, let us make man in our own image. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God making man into his own image, into his own likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Then God said, not just it's good, but it's very good. And our true origin is captured in Genesis 2, where it says before man came into existence, it says that God literally breathed life into him. And that is true for you, that is true for our lost friends, that is true for our family members who are outside of Christ. And I think it's a great place to start with our friends. Ask the question, 
Where in your backstory do you find God breathing life into you, moving, acting, intervening on your behalf? You know, God's word tells us a lot about who we really are, our origin. First of all, and our friends really need to hear this, forget for a moment all the struggles and pain and all the trouble that we face. The plain truth often overlooked and taken for granted in our backstory is this. If God breathed life into you, then you are here on purpose. How many people need to hear that? I know it sounds so cliche to a Christian congregation, but but make no mistake about it. A large percentage of suicide attempts originate out of this statement out of not understanding the reality that God intended us to be here on purpose. Do I matter? Does anyone care? Am I a mistake? These are the messages played in many people's mind. Never minimize the importance of knowing that we are here on purpose. Devastating, lifelong, life-threatening damage to a child and an adult when messages are played, I wish I was never born. My parents would be better off without me. I am not wanted. We know in God's plans and in God's eyes, there are no surprise babies. There's no mistakes. There's no accidents. We know that is true based upon his word and care of his creation and the formation of our very lives. Listen to these verses, and I'll put these up there for you. This is from Psalm 139. For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If you could count them, they're more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. If you want a psalm to jumpstart your day, your year, I encourage you to read Psalm 139 every single morning for an entire month. Because it is so easy in this world to feel small and insignificant. But our friends that are lost, that are struggling, need to know that they have God's attention. God's infinite mind, his infinite attention, and through it all, God knows them personally. See, our backstory begins by the sheer fact that we are precious to God and very purposely made by his will and by his intention. Here are are three quick examples I would share with a lost friend to make this point very, very vivid for them. We know these well, but they are so important to people who stand outside of God's grace. First, tell your friend what Jesus said simply about their hair. Matthew 10, 30 says, Jesus said, even the hairs on your head are numbered. And I think the point here for our lost friends is simply, for God to know the hairs at any given moment means he's paying very, very close attention to us. Hair is so insignificant and more and more insignificant as we age. But God takes time to study. He takes time to study it, track it, So how much more will God study and track the big stuff happening in our heart and soul? Moving on to our tongue, you know, the Lord knows what's on our heart, what's on our mind, and even what comes out of our mouth even before we speak it. Psalm 139, again, verse 4, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. 
You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is, it is too high. I cannot attain it. He's paying attention because we matter. How many people need to hear those words? He knows more about you than you know yourself, and that is a really scary thought. The truth is, God doesn't approve of every detail of your life or my life. But even though God knows the unflattering things about us, he's still for us. And then there's your your beating heart. God's word is full of verses that tell us God loves humanity. We love John 3.16, don't we? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But I so appreciate God's word also speaks directly to the individual's beating heart. Whoever, whoever believes in him, whoever, that's, that's our friends, that's our lost family members, that's you and me, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So thankful for God's word speaking to the individual. Zephaniah 3.17, this is an Old Testament verse that drills home the gospel. The Lord your God is with you. You. He is a mighty warrior who saves you. He rejoices over you with gladness. He quiets you by his love. He rejoices over you with shouts of joy. That that verse was given to me when I was lost through a simple letter. I cherish that because of how many times it just says you over and over and over again. He quiets you by his love means that the Lord doesn't treat me or you as our sins deserve. The Lord pays attention to our beating heart. Luke 15, Jesus told two parables specific to the individual. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin. And what's so beautiful about each of these parables is what it reveals about God what it reveals about God. And it's the joy set before the angels of heaven over one sinner, one, one individual who repents and turns to him. Our friends need to hear that. So our origin, our backstory, must be filled with the knowledge that we are precious to God. God knows you personally and breathed life into you. You're you're supposed to be here, purposeful, and intentional by God's hand. He counts the hairs on our head. He knows our heart. He knows our tongue. He knows our thoughts before they're formed. And he rejoices over us with gladness and shouts of joy. And also, he wants us to find our place with him. He wants us to find our place with him. Have you ever been in a place where you feel like you just don't belong? I think that's every single person in this room. I I was a teacher for 20 years, and at the start of every semester, I could look out and I could just see scared faces. Now, maybe they were scared of the course or the reputation of the teacher. I don't know. But I know there was a lot of stuff happening in their lives on that campus that terrified them. Will I fit in? Who's my roommate? What about relationships? How am I going to get along here? And it just went on and on and on. John Eldridge popular author, wrote a book called Wild at Heart, but he also wrote a book called Sacred Romance. And he addresses these feelings, these feelings, these struggles we have of not belonging. Listen to what he wrote in Sacred Romance and and see if you can relate to this. He, He writes, I remember the torture of fourth grade, of waiting in those lines as the captains chose the teams for the kickball or the dodgeball or whatever else there was to choose. 
Remember dodgeball? That was awesome. I don't think you can play dodgeball anymore. As the captain took turns choosing their teams, our rank in the fourth grade society was reinforced over and over and over again. Oh, others fared worse than I. They would say, take Smitty, you had him last time. I never had that, Eldred said. But you know what? I was never the first to be chosen. No one ever fought over getting me, saying, no, no, wait, wait, we get Eldridge this time. I never felt wanted. At best, I felt tolerated. And then there's the junior high cafeteria. He writes, after buying lunch, you carry your tray out to the tables in the cafeteria. There was an unspoken hierarchy of where people were allowed to sit. I walked over a table to the cool kids, and before I could sit down, one of them said, not here, Eldridge. We are saving the seat for somebody else. These are just some of the ways that I learned that lesson that I was literally on the outside looking in all the time. And I think throughout our lives, each one of us lives in this constant nagging, this constant nagging of, will I ever fit in? Will I ever belong? Then Eldridge writes this. He writes, on the other hand, there is this absolute joy of someone that saves a place for you. We walk into a crowded room, and someone actually cares. He notices us, and he's motioning us over by waving his hand for everybody to see. Eldridge, over here, over here. And then there's a chair, and he's been holding it the whole time, just for you. For a moment, we have a taste of relief and this feeling of being on the inside. See, part of our origin and our backstory is this. God wants you to know that you are here because he wants you to find your place with him. God is literally holding a place for his own, and he wants that for you, to be close to him, not just holding a chair. God's not just holding a chair and waving us over. He's literally calling us by name our scripture for today, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. If we get to know Jesus, we get to know God intimately. He's the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. God wants us to know that you are here because he wants you to find your place with him. See, Ephesians 2, our text for today, is our backstory. These words were written to people who were wanderers. They're spiritual wanderers. They were lost. They didn't have a place, but they found their place in Christ Jesus. So, so if that's you, if that's a friend of ours who was lost but is now found, these words were written for us. But for anyone outside of Christ looking in, these words highlight what they're missing. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. I can, I can still remember that. Excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away had been brought near by the blood of Christ. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Members of his household. How many people long to hear that? Your family, your family, you belong. He's just waiting to bring you in. And I I love the words here, brought near 
by the blood of Christ. Because it's not this notion that we just show up and, and hope to be included in and hope things are going to go away. It's really this, this idea that the host of the party, Christ Jesus himself, is inviting us in, intervened on our behalf to make sure we were there, and then is holding a place for us. Come, I have a place just for you on the inside. That brings us to just one more thing to remind us of our origins. And it's important for our lost friends to hear this. From the very beginning, from the very beginning, you were intended to live forever. Every superhero backstory has that pivotal moment where their world forever changed. Often it changed their physical body. It changed their mind. And you know what? God did that for us as well. He changed our world. He changed our future through Jesus. Our backstory is far better than a radioactive spider and superpowers. To God, we were never, ever intended to be temporary. We were meant to live forever. And even though sin changed everything, God's intention never changed. We remain precious and valuable to God. Now, Christmas has just passed, and I can remember years ago, my kids loving the Dollar Tree, right? They just loved going to the Dollar Tree. But they learned pretty quickly that toys from the Dollar Tree last about two hours, right? <laughs> I mean, that's their intention. I'm not bashing Dollar Tree, but that's their intention. It's a, it's a dollar's worth of fun. Well, compare that, <laughs> compare that to the long-lost palace treasures or ancient artifacts those things that are just known to have lasting value. Think about it this way. We are so valuable to God that it was his desire to be with us for, for all eternity. Again, even though sin has messed that up, messed up any shot of us inheriting eternal life on our own, God still promised, he still delivered and made another way to show us, to demonstrate to us that we're not temporary, we're not an afterthought, and we're deeply, deeply loved. When I proposed to my bride, I, I knew I was ready. I, I just knew I was ready. She was precious. She was value, valued in my heart and soul. And when we took our vows, like many of you here, we said those words, till death do us part. That's a long time, right? That's a long time. And I'm pretty sure I didn't reveal any of my ugly side before the wedding. I wasn't probably very difficult. I saved that for the next 50 years. But even as two really imperfect people, we were ready to make this, this commitment of marriage because of our love for each other and the, and the covenant love before God set before us. So God knows us. He knows that ugly side. He knows everything about you more than we could ever know about ourselves, The good, the bad, the ugly, and, and that really super, super ugly side. And that super ugly side, that trips up many of our friends who are standing on the outside. It trips them up. It holds them back. Nobody's going to want to accept me in this really dark, ugly side. So, so what I would say to, to that friend, and I'll say it all to you, we should know this very well. I would tell that friend to read Romans 5.8. God demonstrated his love for you, that while you were still sinners, stuck in that super ugly side of your life, even then Christ died for you. And if God didn't withhold his own son, 
what good thing would he withhold from you? He knows who we were. He knows who we are. He knows who we will become. And he loves us with a zealous, aggressive love. He wants you to be with him forever. And that was his intention from the very beginning. All of this should give us a sense of who we are and who we belong to. At the end of the day, our beginnings, our origin, is marked with love, eternity, adoption, being chosen, and great joy. If you know Jesus, then you're a child of a one true king. So we go back to this quest. You know, we're about to hit the new year, 2020, a new decade. We want to be our best, but you cannot be your best outside the will of God. And here's where we stand at the crossroads. And I want to have you think just differently for a moment. You cannot be your best outside the will of God. But you don't have to know God's will if you're confident in God's word. That's our origin. That's our backstory. And that's his promise moving forward. God's word and promise will carry you to your very best in 2020 and beyond. I'll end with just two very simple examples very simple examples. Consider Jonah just for a moment. We know, we know that Jonah stood outside of God's will because he literally ran in the opposite direction. I'm not asking for hands, but I bet a few hands would go up. Who has run in the opposite direction of God? Here's the part of Jonah's prayer that drew him back, that turned him around. And Jonah didn't live a perfect life. Read Jonah 4 later today. It didn't end exactly happily ever after with Jonah. And I love that, that it's shared like that in God's word, because I kind of feel like that's my life sometimes. It's not going exactly as I planned. But here's what turned Jonah around. He prayed, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. You cannot be your best outside the will of God. If we want to be in God's will, we must let go of anything we place above or before him. Then there's Jeremiah. Now his circumstances, his life, and his ministry were incredibly difficult for 40 years. And he was prone to complain. He was prone to lament. He was prone to wander and ask, why, Lord? Here's what he, he in, a, in a wrestling match with God, here's what he, he said. Lord, why? Why me? Why is my pain perpetual? My wound incurable, refusing to be healed. Lord, will you indeed be to me like a deceptive stream with water that is unreliable? Tim opened the service reading Lamentations, Jeremiah writing, Your compassions never fail. Great is your faithfulness. How did Jeremiah go from, Lord, are you going to be unreliable to me again? Like a deceptive stream to writing, Great is your faithfulness. I think it's, it's what the Lord spoke into him. And here's how God answered Jeremiah. He said to Jeremiah, if you return to me, I will restore you. Jeremiah, before me, you will stand. And if you extract the precious from the worthless, you will become my spokesman. Return to me, Jeremiah. That's what the Lord is saying. Return to me, and then I will restore you. Your life might, might not go back to joy and happiness and perfection, but I will return you to what I called you to be, my spokesman. 
But I love where he tells him, extract the precious from the worthless. That's God's word and God's promises. You don't have to know God's will if you are confident in his word. Being our best standing in the will of God has nothing to do with our circumstances. Jeremiah, I think, is a great illustration of that. It's our attitude. It's our heart. It's where we place our confidence. And our confidence needs to be in God's word and his promises. Because ultimately, God's word is our backstory. It's our future, and it's our hope. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you, we praise you, we we love you, and we cherish your holy word. We thank you, Lord, for the promises we hold in you and you alone. We thank you, Lord, that you've written upon our hearts, our life. You've demonstrated your love for us by going to the cross to save us from our sins. All praise, all glory, and honor are yours, Lord. We love you, we thank you. Press this into our heart deeply. In Jesus' name, amen.